Steel Arms, an alcoholic. I've been sober since December the 15th of 1984. My, my home group is the Phoenix Group in Norman, Oklahoma, and my sponsor is Peg Martin from Bellevue, Nebraska. And I think those are three of the most important things I need to have as a member of AA. I really do. Um, a home group, a sobriety date's good. It's good to have one of those. Um, I want to thank, you're, you, you're just great. They, I, I want to tell y'all, I'm the second round draft pick for this conference. So. <laughs> right, Dave? I, I didn't get called in the first round. I'm quite the, you know, I'm just second string here. It's all right, I'll be fine. But I want to thank the committee. You all, there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people here. Lots and lots of people here, and um, it's hard to keep it. I mean, it's, it's just flowed, and things have just been really organized. Now, I don't know behind the scenes how they've been, but you put on a good front for me, that's for sure. It looks good, and, and the, the hotel has done a fabulous job, and uh, yeah, I really, really... And I'm, I'm on, I am on committees and conferences, and I know how hard this is. I know there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into doing these things, and I don't take it lightly, and I don't um, take it for granted. And thank you for my, I, you know, I've, I've never, I've been fed about every 15 minutes since I got here. <laughs> Lord. It's like, let's, well, we better eat, or, or we talk about when we're going to eat next. You know, I'm like, jeez, you guys eat a lot of food up here. My God. Oh, and so I want to thank Pat, my, she's a great hostess. I mean, she's really just done a great job. Um, she, uh, she's just been, um, just there, you know, like there, you know, some of them go, where's my hostess, you know, well, she's having a panic attack. Oh, that's good. Um, you know, but she's, you know, she's working her program, you know, and doing what she's supposed to and. And you just made me feel very welcome, and, and just you're, you've, been a, you've done a great job. Um, I want to thank Bobby for introducing me. He's just a neat man. He gave a great talk last night, and you know he did, didn't he? <laughs> and his lovely wife Betty and their daughter Ashley. I just, you know, it's just so neat to meet new people and see old friends. You know, I've, I've known Ed since I was a kid, I mean, a little kid, you know, and of course he hasn't gotten any older, he looks fabulous. <laughs> Aren't I good? Was that good? Paid me lots of money to say that. But I have, and you know, sometimes, you know, um, as we travel the road, there's certain people that you see and they just feel safe. It makes you feel safe and you know, A's in good hands and Ed's one of those people I know that he loves Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, Vicki gave a great talk this morning. A little too early to be that emotional, Vicki. Oh, she did a great job. Great job. Oh, wow. And, you know, oh, you just... But don't suck on a grape girl, because you'll be in my room. My word. She's the Allen on of my type, you know. And, uh, and I, I got on the elevator. I was screaming, hold that door, you know. And so I run on, and, and there's Betty, Bobby's wife who's an Al-Anon, and you know, I, I, 
fine, fix me, I don't care. I've never been upset with them taking care of me. Why would anybody be upset when people take care of you? When you? It's like, where were you when I was drunk? You know, I just missed you. <laughs> my word, you know, and I get on the elevator and there she is, you know, because I have a thing I think about, it's like Al-Anon, don't leave home without it, you know, because I need those kind of people in my life. They take good care of me and God knows somebody needs to. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing um, the speaker tomorrow morning. Where are you, Mike? There you are. You're tonight. You're tonight, and then Ed's tomorrow. Oh, I introduce you. <laughs> I'll be better in a minute. Just give me a minute. <laughs> well, we had this barbecue, and it's kind of kind of visiting me right now. Whoa! Here, have a little barbecue before you speak. Sure. <laughs> and they served it in a trash can lid. Nothing but uptown for us. I want to also say um, to Marge and, and Tony that um, I didn't get to hear you, but thank you for all you do in our fellowship. My book tells me to tell what we were like, what happened, and what I'm like today and in a general way. And um, I was born uh, in Oklahoma to two normal alcoholic parents. Um, my parents got divorced before I remembered they were married. And um, my brother, <laughs> I was two and my brother was one. And um, my dad went to live in California and we lived with my mom. And um, I loved my mother. My mother, I thought, was one of the most beautiful women I had ever seen. And she was a nurse and um, she, that's when they wore the white and they wore the white caps. And when it was cold in the wintertime, she'd have on a blue cape, and I just thought she looked like an angel. I just loved her very much. Um, my mother drank a lot and left a lot, and uh, she, uh, I believe she had alcoholism, and uh, she, she liked it. She, she drank a lot daily, and, but she would leave a lot. She would be gone months at a time. There were times where we wouldn't see her for months. We'd stay at our grandmother's house, and uh, then she'd come back, and, and, and I never remember being that mad at her. I just didn't want her to leave. I just wanted her to come home. And um, um, she, she tried to be the best mom that she could be. And uh, we, uh, one, one time uh, uh, she was gone and uh, the, uh, these people came, the social workers came and we went to live in our very first foster home. And, and we went to live there and um, I would not see my mother again. I was seven years old at the time and I would not see my mother again until I was 19. And that's alcoholism. And um, when we were living in that foster home, someone called my father in California and said and told them your kids are in a foster home and he had married a nice mexican lady and and they said he came there and he t and he got custody of us he walked in the door and i that's like i say i met my dad when i was seven because i really don't remember him when i was little and and he had a thumbelina doll in one hand and a mitt in the other and he said hi i'm dad and i went oh this is not going to work it's just not going to work <laughs> i i we we went boom from the minute we met and my brother cried because he always wanted a dad and we got on a plane and we moved to Los Angeles, California, and I like to go fast. I still go pretty fast, but um, it was like we got on this plane and we went and then we got in this big car and went fast and we got on a freeway and I was living in Piedmont, Oklahoma at the time, let me, it's this big. And, uh, and I remember it was exciting and I thought maybe this will be different, maybe this will be better. And um, he had married a nice Mexican lady and about um, 30,000 people picked us up at the airport, you know, and they were, <laughs> they were hugging and kissing and pinching and, and, and Fiesta, you know, we went and had a big party because you, you always have to eat. And, um, 
and they had tamales and 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 it was wonderful and and they drank and they and they fought and they cried and they made up and it was I love this family I thought oh, I'll fit in here and uh, it was excitement and and I thought this was going to be it and unfortunately my father had the disease of alcoholism and and um, one day we woke up and she was gone and um, I was not to see her again until I was 18 years old and that's the disease of alcoholism as I know it today we went to live with an aunt and uncle in Arizona and uh, we uh, lived there because my father couldn't take care of us. Um, he was in a lot of trouble uh, with the law. And um, when I was uh, 10 years old, my brother and I, we were, he was 9, I was 10. Um, uh, most incredible thing in my life would happen. My father got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, we went to, uh, he had a sponsor, and um, we came back to Los Angeles, and we would have to live in yet another foster home. And they had to you know painstakingly do that they didn't they didn't just say oh well you know I always thought it was just oh well put them somewhere but it wasn't ever like that um, it was a hard decision and they made it and we went to live in this foster home and the foster home was in what is now called South Central Los Angeles um, my foster mom was uh, and father were black and we may be the first kids on record to stay in a mixed home I'm not sure it always I've always kind of been curious about that it was in the 60s and uh, we were supposed to live there two weeks until a white foster home opened up and we ended up living there three and a half years and it was probably um, three and a half years of the most wonderful time in my life. Um, she was a wonderful woman. She is a wonderful woman. Um, her, her husband, my foster father, he passed away a few years ago and, um, but they uh, loved us as if we were theirs and uh, we were her very first foster children. She used to call us her blue-eyed babies and, uh, and we were. And, um, and a lot more kids came to the home because she loved kids and, and uh, a Mexican girl named Hilda came to live there and I just loved Hilda and, and she came to live there and then um, a Sioux Indian boy came to live there. He was um, 18 months old. They had found him wandering around an abandoned house eating paint chips and, and he came to live there and, uh, and we were this wonderful family and I always get a visual when I talk about them. Um, when we would be eating lunch, it looked like a meeting of the Junior United Nations, you know. <laughs> we just... And... Uh, and she would take us, she was big on socks and underwear, you had to have tons of it, and one for every day of the week, and Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, and, and so we, we would go to Kmart, and we'd all be following her, and we called her mom, I mean, I still call her mom, and, and we called her mom, and we'd be, you know, we were begging for stuff, and, and uh, people were looking at her very strange, like that woman's been very busy, we look like a rainbow right behind her, you know. <laughs> And it was just, it was, you know, and we, we, it was normal. We felt normal. We didn't think that, we didn't know, I didn't even know I was white, you know, for a long time. I didn't know there was a difference in color. We just were all blended, it seemed like. And, uh, and uh, but unfortunately, the world did, and it was, uh, and black was beautiful then, and uh, I wasn't. And, uh, and you know, I, I, there was prejudice outside of our home, and I would go to school, and people would call, I'd come home, and I'd go, what is a honky? And, um... <laughs> Or what's a cracker? And uh, <laughs> she'd say, that's ignorance. And, uh, and I, I always thought that was so neat, you know, that she thought that was that. <laughs> she said that um, kids were kids and they didn't have color to her. And, and she took good care of us. My father loved her very much. And uh, was, uh, to, to the day he died, he was always so grateful that she gave us a safe place while he got sober. He had a sponsor, and that sponsor, and he, um, he met a nice lady in AA. They got together. She had two kids. He had two kids. We got out of the foster home. We went to live in this home, and it was not the Brady Bunch, I can tell you that. We were very broken people, and it didn't work out. And 
So uh, my brother and I went down the street to live at, when they broke up, we went to live with her, this woman he had married, went to live with her sister, my aunt. And, uh, and so life started to get normal. I was going to school. My father traded plumbing work so that we could go to Catholic school. I used to say he didn't love me, but, you know, he traded plumbing work so we could go to Catholic school. And life got normal. I, I started to just kind of do well, and um, I always felt different. I always felt um, not good enough, not enough. I felt that way all of my life, and, and, um, and that's just, I just felt that was probably normal for me. And uh, we, uh, I, uh, when we lived with my aunt, she uh, was a single mother who had four children and then took my brother and I in. And I, in inventories, I've looked back because I always felt so very sorry for myself, and I saw how God took real good care of us and that um, he, did, he must love us and that we were, um, we were always clothed, clothed and fed and, and uh, not too many terrible things happened and, and, and that's a blessing. Um, my cousin once said, you know, Sheila, you had a terrible childhood and we would have loved to have felt sorry for you, but you were so busy feeling sorry for yourself, you didn't give anybody any room. So <laughs> that's who you got when I got sober. You know, self-pity just followed me around just like the plague, you know, I just chose to stay in it for a long time and I, uh, now I've had sips of beer and I've, you know, stuff like that. <clears throat> My first drunk happened when I went to the prom. I was 15 years old and this guy said, you don't have a date and I don't have a date, you want to go? And I thought, oh, how romantic, sure. And, um, <laughs> and so my aunt takes me and, you know, she's got all these kids and um, five of us out of the six were all teenagers at the same time. I can't even imagine. And um, we, she took me to get this dress and I tried on, of course, I pick out this nice low cut, you know, not real low cut, but low cut for then. And, and kind of snug little yellow dress and I, I thought it was really pretty and she picked out this this giant green dress and it had these giant green flowers all over it and it, and uh, it kind of it had an accordion neck and had a little, <laughs> little ruffle up here and I was oh my gosh and it kind of cinched here and billowed out it was horrible looking and it's still ugly I oh every time I think about it, it makes me sick <laughs> and so you know I um and so, but I'm kind of in trouble at this point. I'm smoking cigarettes. I'm, um, you know, nice girls didn't get in vans, you know. God. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you don't get in vans and you don't, you know, you know, nice girls don't do those things. And uh, I got in vans and one guy I dated, he had evil, wicked, mean, and nasty on his bumper sticker. That would be my guy, you know. I'll take him. And so I'm kind of getting in trouble, and I, I, I push the envelope, and, and I'm so, I, really, I, I, I'm always afraid that someone's going to ask me not to come back, because it wasn't really my home. I was always visiting your home. I was always just visiting, and, and you were always letting me stay there. And, and so I, I, I knew I had to do something really good, you know, so I got the green dress. Are you happy now? And uh, so I got the green dress, and then she said, would you go to my hairdresser and... Um, and, and I said yes, and hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, her daughters have never gone to her hairdresser to this day. Why would I? And, you know, back then, you, it was in the 70s, you were your hair long and straight, maybe curled at the ends on a big special occasion. And so I went in there, and the lady put my hair in curlers, and I was under the dryer for a couple of weeks, it seemed like, and, oh, the tops of my ears were melting. And, and, and then she said, you know, I get to the mirror, and she says, well, how would you like it? And I said, well, maybe like a little bit up and then down. And... And she kept putting my hair up and up and up and up and, you know, and that's in now. Wasn't in then, let me tell you what. And, and my hair was this big. And it kept going kind of like a football, you know. And so 
my aunt comes running in and she goes, oh, you look so beautiful. And she's got baby's breath. So they're sticking this baby's breath all over my hair, you know. And they're adding insult to injury. And, and, I, and I, I hate myself. And, and so, you know, me and my hair go out to the car. We get in the car. We get in the car. I get home. I put the, the green, giant green dress on. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm a bush in bloom. And so, you know, I'm getting ready, and they said, Sheila, your date's here. And I had all these great visions of walking down the staircase, probably spiral, and, you know, and he'd... And, you know, we lived in a one-story house. What in the world? <laughs> but I have, you know, I dream well. And, and unfortunately, uh, a, few, a week or a few days before the prom, my date decided um, at school, in front of everyone, to, for a bet, to bite the head off of a live frog. In front of everyone. Yeah, you got a visual? It's lovely. And so he bit the head off a live frog and won $100. Well, everybody comes, I wasn't out there. Everybody comes running up to me and goes, the guy you're going to the prom with just bit the head off a live frog. And I thought, can anything ever go right just once, you know, just once. And so he comes in and, and you know, my dad, my dad, my dad, my poor dad, and um, my dad, um, when I, my dad lived down the street from me, and it, it, what was interesting was I would come home from cheerleading practice or something, and I'd, he'd be watering, and I'd wave, and he'd wave back, and they'd go, who's that? And i go, oh, that's my dad. And they go, your dad? And I said, yeah. And they go, your dad lives down the street from you? And I go, yeah, doesn't yours? You know, it's like, it's the, the abnormal has become normal, as the big book says, you know, and it's like, and it worked really well. My dad living down the street was a great idea for us. We did not, we were gasoline in a match, let me tell you. And so, um... You know, and so my dad comes from down the street. My foster mother, she comes, and she's taking pictures, and I'm sick, and everybody's looking, oh, they look, all my cousins look like princesses, and I look like, whatever, a bush in bloom, and I hated myself. And so my date comes in, and, and, and I don't want anyone to say, you know, about his thing that he did. And my dad's standing there, and I want my dad to be proud of me. I, it was like, love me, love me, love me, but I, I seemed to do everything I could to push him away. And, and, and it was a lot of the, our bad relationship was my fault. And, and so um, my little cousin Kelly, who's just as cute as anything, he comes running in and he looks at this guy like it was Johnny Unitas and goes, are you the guy that bit the head off a live frog? And I'm like, oh. And my dad, his eyes kind of glaze over and start rolling and his veins and face is red, veins are throbbed. He goes, my God. And I said, well, we need to get out of here. So we whisk off to the prom, you know. He's got champagne in the car, you know, and that, those plastic, he didn't even have glass, but those plastic champagne things, you know, the bottom never stays on, you spend half the night <laughs> trying to look cool. Oh, let me, whoops. And uh, so, you know, we have a few glasses of champagne, no big deal. I don't, you know, I haven't arrived or anything. And, and we go to the prom, nothing happens, and I, we go to the after parties, and I love the after parties. And, and uh, people kept coming up and, and making, um, they kept making drinks in my little glass. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to get drunk. This is, this is a little glass of nothing, you know, and uh, they made tequila sunrises, salty dogs, you know, I tried everything. I had about 150 of those puppies, and let me tell you what happened. My hair got long and straight. <laughs> those flowers flew off my dress, and frog lips started looking really good. <laughs> And I love what Clancy talks about the de disease of perception because nothing changed, but everything changed. 
nothing. I mean, I still look the same. He still bit the head off a live frog. Everything's still the same, but I felt different. And it made the big hurt go away. And it was, I didn't even know I had a big hurt. And Johnny Harris talks about the big hurt. And I had so much pain in my heart and, my, and in my gut, and I felt at ease. And I felt like I fit in and that maybe I could be okay. And it was a wonderful feeling. I mean, how, why would we not drink? And I, I felt one. I felt like I was a part of something. And um, I didn't miss my mom so much that night like I did night after night after night. I didn't resent my dad so much. And, I, and that's what alcohol does not to me but for me. And I blacked out and I passed out and I threw up all in that same night. And I was off and running, and I, and I drank every time I could. I finished high school. I was, a, I was in high school. I dated, you know, a, the guy I dated in high school went, went on to play pro football, you know, and uh, dumped me. Huh. I wrote about it. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's like life was good, and, and, and uh, I got out of high school, and I, and I moved out, and uh, I got in touch with my mother, and I, I went to see my mother, and I was 19 years old, and I went to find my mother. And uh, um, she wasn't beautiful anymore. And alcohol had taken her down, and she, was, she was, looked old. And uh, my mother was only 48 years old when I went to see her that time. And she looked 78. And she lived in a place where people lived that were on Social Security, and people in the building average age were 65 60 to 70, let's say, and they took care of her. She'd had lost an eye from drinking. She had had some blood poisoning kind of thing go on, and she limped, and she was kind of hunched over. And She wasn't that beautiful lady anymore, but she was my mom. And I thought if I only had my mom all these years, everything would have been all right. And that wasn't going to fix it either. And so I went back to... I flew back to uh, California, and she, had li- she lived in Dallas at the time. And, and I thought, you know, I've got to get my life together. I've got to, got to get my life together. And I remember I just started drinking. I, was, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't. It was just so awful, the reality of what had become of my mother. And uh, I worked as a waitress. I loved waitressing. I worked nights. I'm a night girl. You know, I work nights and sleep all day. And one night, um, on my night off, I... Uh, I came to in a field. I kind of appear places. Did you ever do that? Oh, here I am. I mean, I have appeared dancing before. I mean, that's scary. Do I know what we're doing? You know, what kind of, are we in two-stepping? What are we doing here? I remember one night we started the night out in a, like a rock and roll bar and ended up in a, in a country bar and I could not country dance. And I was doing it. I was dancing with some guy. Oh, jeez. And, uh... You know, I was just like, so I appear, and I wake up in this field. And I think, I'm in a field. Now, I don't know where I am, and it's scary. And I, luckily, I was near where I, where I worked, and uh, I had no idea. I remember leaving and starting drinking, and there we are. And I went to, that Saturday night was my dad's 10-year AA birthday, and I went to an AA meeting to watch him get his 10-year, 10-year birthday cake. And I heard a lady speak, and I identified with her. I called a lady named Sharon B., who is a member of our fellowship and has been for many years, and uh, she had just gotten her, uh, her mouth unwired, my kind of gal, again, and uh, we sat and talked, and then uh, she, you know, I just, she was the first person I ever told I thought I might have a drinking problem. 
And I stayed sober in the Pacific group for nine months, and uh, the thing is is that it, the pain of sobriety got so bad that I couldn't stay sober because I hadn't taken the steps. I had not done the work in Alcoholics Anonymous, the things that we do. I did a lot of activity, but I didn't take right action. Um, I was running around doing stuff, but I wasn't doing the things that this program is designed to relieve that horrible things that go on inside of us, to get rid of that, the maintenance that we need. And I, I wasn't doing those things. They said, read the book, and I didn't read the book. You know, take the steps, I was busy. You know, don't fool with boys, I fool with boys. You know, booze and boys, always been my favorite. You know, like soup and sandwich, you know, they go together. <laughs> You know, and so, you know, I mean, I, I didn't stay sober. I was, it was too painful to be sober. The reality of my life was bad, and, I, and the steps, God will, you know, God removes it and takes care of it, but I must do my part. I must do my part in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and I didn't do my part, and so um, I drank again. And I remember justifying drinking, thinking, you know, maybe I wasn't really in a blackout. <clears throat> Dad always left the state when he was in a blackout. It was probably more of a brownout. You know, I think my way out of that. I can think my way out of AA. I can think my way out of, you know, I, that's what I did. I justified that I was probably over, you know, overreacting, running day. It was crazy, you know. I thought I had maybe a location problem, not a drinking problem or an alcohol problem, you know. Oh. And so um, I thought, you know, I need to settle down. So I met a guy and, um, and uh, we got married. He owned a bar, free beer and pool for the rest of my life. I do. And uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And um, that lasted an entire six months. Um, I was still sending thank you notes out for gifts when we got divorced. Oh, miscommitted. And, um, and then before, right before we, uh, we separated, um, I got a call that my mother was very, very ill in Dallas. And I went to uh, Baylor University. It's a hospital there and for indigent people. And uh, I went to the hospital and she was in a coma. And I don't know if you've ever seen anybody dying of cirrhosis. It's a horrible way to go. And she was very swollen and yellow and tubes running in and out of her. And, and she just wasn't my pretty mom anymore. And I remember um, being mad at God. What kind of God does this? What kind of God takes kids away from their mom? What kind of God doesn't help a lady? My mom was a good lady. I bet she said every Monday, Monday, I'm going to get my life together. Monday, I'm going to go get those kids. Monday, I'm going to just quit drinking and I'm going to get my life together. I know she said that because I said that. My mom was a nurse and she took good care of people. She wasn't a bad woman. At Christmas time when I was little, I remember that we used to go to, we go to nursing homes because she wanted to make sure pe those people there had people to visit them. She, well, she didn't mean it. She never meant for her life to turn out the way it did. And I have such forgiveness for her because of you, because of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, because of speakers like Ed, because of people that have come and talked to me and spent time and left their families and flew all the way to Oklahoma and they stand at a podium and tell my story and I could identify and I knew it could get a healing and I could feel better and I could stay here one more day. I could stay here one more day. And I was always so grateful for that. My mother didn't even know I was there. She was in a coma. And I read to her and talked to her. And we went outside and her sisters showed up and I didn't even really know them. And they were talking about little things I did when I was a tiny baby. And it was just that stuff. I call it stuff. It was just going on inside. And I don't know you, but where were you? How come y'all didn't come and get me? You know, that stuff. I don't say any of this. I'm just think, 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 you know. And uh, 
And so, and so, and so the doctor says, um, the nurse comes out and she said, you need to come in. And, and I came in the room and I thought, this is it. And uh, my mother was sitting up and she looked at me and she said, will you forgive me? And I said, yes. And my mom and I had three really neat days together. And on Good Friday, she passed away. And I think that God gave me that little bit of time. And I'm sure she would have liked that. She wasn't very coherent and she was pretty sick, but I got to be with her. And she knew I was there. And she told me, she said, I knew you were here. I just couldn't talk to you. I was so far away, but I could barely hear you. And the nurse told me that when people are in a coma, the last thing to go is their hearing. And um, she could hear me. I called my dad when my mother passed away, and um, I said, Dad, will you help me? He said yes, and he called his sponsor, of course, and uh, he flew to Oklahoma, my brother, I, and my, my brother and I and my dad, and we flew there, and uh, we buried my mother. And uh, so it's really the um, only time I ever remember us all together, and I think she would have liked that. And he was amazing in that because he... His heart, it was sad. He felt guilty that he had gotten sober and she hadn't. You know, and he didn't say, well, Sheila, that doesn't feel comfortable for me right now. He didn't say anything like that. He said, of course, I will help you. You know, and he came and helped me bury my mother. You know, he hadn't been with her in many, many years. And he took actions that probably went against everything that he felt. I'm sure it was very uncomfortable for him. And I've always loved him for that, to do that for me and my brother. And I came back to California and I divorced that guy that owned the bar. It's probably all his fault anyway, you know. <laughs> that poor guy, he could never win. And I just kind of started going to reckless abandon. Um, I went to nail school and I partied and I drank and um, just did about anything I needed to do to get where I needed to go to do what I needed to do. I did a lot of drugs. I started doing drugs. Drugs are part of my story. They're not my entire story because I'm, I mean, I, somebody said to me once, well, what did you drink? And I said, well, what didn't I drink? You know, I really love, I'm a wineette, really. I love wine. I, and, you know, and I remember the kind with the screw and, yeah, you know, I, the screw tops, you know, it wasn't like it was fine or anything, fine wine. And, uh, and I drank a lot of stuff and, uh, I, I was at a bar one night, this one bar I love, Mother's. Yeah. People died in this bar a lot. And, uh, <laughs> and it was just, oh, Tiny died last week, really? And, uh, and this big biker guy, he looked at me, and I mean, I'm just drinking and drinking. He looked at me and goes, you know, you drink a lot for a little girl. You know, you might want to look at your drinking when the big biker guy says that to you. You know, you might just, you know. He said, man, you need to slow down. You know, it's things like a little warning, a little red flag every now and then. And, um, and I, uh, I met a him. I met another him. I, I just got to have him. And, you know, I don't ever meet them at church. I meet them at the bar. I'm, I'm second-generation bar fly. And... Uh, and that's where I meet my guys, and I met this guy, and he was a, he was a Marine, you know, a Marine. Wow. And uh, I thought, well, heck, they take care of the entire country. Surely he can handle me. <laughs> the few and the proud, you know, and, uh, well, I was wrong. I just did the Marine in, poor thing. And... Uh, <laughs> 
He was begging for war, you know, please. <laughs> Send me away. And I moved down to Oceanside. And, uh, but right before this, I kind of forgot this part. I, uh, I got pregnant with another him. And, uh, and I had this baby boy. And I tell you, I was going to be the best mom in the whole world. I was going to love him. I was going to cherish him. I was never, I was not going to drink or do drugs anymore. And I drank and used when I was pregnant. And my sponsor really has helped me get through that. It took me a long time in sobriety to get through that because um, I felt so very guilty. And um, she said, Sheila, there's a part in the big book that says that we lose the choice to drink. She said, unfortunately, you were pregnant. And she, I said, but I hear women in AA, and I know they're alcoholic, and they go, and then I got pregnant, and I didn't drink for nine months. And I think, I'm just, I'm just scum. I mean, I hate myself, you know. And she said, no, it's, you, were, you, were at that, you had no choice. You had lost the power of choice. And unfortunately, you, had, you were pregnant. And, um, you know, and I had, um, I had this child, and I was going to be the best mom in the whole world. I was never going to drink again. I was never going to use drugs. I was going to learn to bake cookies. Never mind, he had no teeth, but I was going to bake cookies. I was going to be the best mom. And I meant that if you had given me a lie detector that day, I would have passed it. I, would have been the, I was going to be the best mom in the whole world. And, and he fixed me for about two weeks. And then the insanity starts, and he's, he needs things, and there's no man there, and his dad's gone, and I feel lost and lonely, and no one's around. No one's around because I've alienated them, because I've chose a life that most people want to stop looking at a long time ago, and they can't bear to be with me. And so... I met this him, and we moved to Oceanside. And uh, when, he, when he left, um, I ended up with my son sleeping on the floor uh, in Oceanside, California, and I was working at a bar in a bowling alley. And uh, it was a very, very rough place to work, and I did nails during the day. And, and I would stay out all night long, and I was doing a lot of drugs that keep me awake. I like being awake, keeps the blackouts away. You know, the more, if I, I always think if I can do more of this and I can drink more. And I love drugs that enable my drinking and uh, stop those blackouts when they can. And so um, I would drink, uh, I would work, get off work, and I would drink all night. Then I would come home and I'd sneak in and I'd pretend to, you know, lay down for a little bit. And then when the house started to wake up, because she'd watch my son all night, the house started to wake up, I'd pretend I'd been in bed all night. And uh, she caught me coming in one morning and she said, you know, if it weren't for that son of yours, I wouldn't let you live here. You know, we use up the people. I use up the people in my life. They can't, they can't, they, they're tired of me. I, I wear you, you know, I wear you out. I will wear you out. And um, so I, I, you know, I met this, this girl and uh, she was really kind. And she said, I know your mother's dead, but why don't you call your dad? And I mean, calling dad is like, oh no. You know, I, I didn't, you know, he didn't know a lot of stuff that went on. I mean, I think he did. But he didn't, he wasn't there. It wasn't ever in his face. I never wanted him to see. And he saw enough. And so he had married this lady, um, and she's a black belt Al-Anon. <laughs> yes, the end is near. <laughs> and I picked up the phone and I called, and she said, Sheila, your dad's in the back room doing a fifth step. As soon as he gets out, I'll have him call you. What's going on? And I said, well, I just thought I'd let you know that I'm going to put Brad in a foster home and I'm going to walk the streets because I can't live this way anymore. I didn't tell him. She didn't ask, what is this? She didn't question me. She said, just hang on and I'll have your dad call you back. Well, he called back and I ran out and got drunk. Of course I did. And the next day I got a hold of him and I talked to him and one thing led to another and he gave me a one-way, non-cashable, non-refundable, non-anythingable, I checked ticket. He invented tough love, trust me. 
And he did, and he said, maybe you, can get, maybe you can come to Oklahoma and get straightened out. And so he sent me that ticket. Had he sent me money for an apartment, he'd probably have a different speaker tonight. If he had sent me anything that would have fixed it for a while, I don't, I don't know if I'd have lived. But he didn't. He just sent me a one-way ticket to see if he could be of service. I went to live there, and I, I stayed there, and I went to some Al-Anon meetings. That was a blast. <laughs> I'm, I'm not drinking, and I'm out of my head, and I'm withdrawing, and I'm trying to pretend it's okay, and I'm going to Al-Anon meetings. Now, I identify with Al-Anon. I truly do. My gosh, I was around alcoholics long before I drank. However, when a woman was crying one night, and she was upset because her alcoholic had left and gotten drunk, I say... We'll just have a beer and a Quaalude. He'll be home. (laughs) And of course, they all went. (laughs) But not my stepmother, who just smiled. Like, I know. And she never mentioned, never said anything. But I went to some open AA meetings, and there was a lady there named Mary, and Mary wasn't in competition with me. Mary wanted to care about me. I think it's very smart that we women know that we don't have to compete with each other, that we can love each other. She wasn't threatened by me. She wanted to care about me. She knew I was one of us. She knew I was one of her. She knew. She just looked at, I can tell them, I can spot them across the room. And she gave me her number and said, if you just ever need to talk or you need anything or a ride or something, I'd be happy to give it to you. All she wanted to do is be a service. And she was a dear friend to me for a long time. And uh, I moved out of my father's house and my stepmother, of course, I got in a fight doing that because it has to be your fault that I'm leaving, get you angry, you know, stir it up and make it a horrible scene. My son and I moved in with some people, and birds of a feather flocked together, and I thought, if I, only, if I moved to Oklahoma, nothing happens in Oklahoma. My God, it's the end of the world. And, uh, and uh, you know, I found the same people. I took me with me. I didn't change me. I took me with me. And when you take you with you, you know, you get you. There you are. Here I am again, you know. And um, uh, we had a party one night on December the 14th. I started drinking. I put my son to bed. He was... Um, 20 months old, I put him to bed, and uh, the next morning I came to, I had my clothes on, they had mud all over them, I couldn't remember what had happened as usual, but I couldn't find my son. It was December the 15th that morning, very, very, very cold, the freezing temperatures outside, and I couldn't find him. I looked in my roommate's room, and I couldn't see him, and I ran outside and thought, my God, he's froze to death. And I thought I had done something to harm my child, and I'm running around, and I'm screaming and crying, my roommate gets up and goes, where were you last night? Yeah, I hate those questions. Don't you hate those? I don't know. What do I look like? You know, a dictionary? I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm doing. Why do you want to know? I just, I get so defensive, you know. I said, I can't find Brad. And she said, he's, he's here. And I looked down, and I hope I never forget this, and he was at the end of the hall, and he had little yellow jammies with the feet in them, and he was walking toward me, and he put his arms up, and he said, Mom. And I picked him up, and I hugged him, and I said, something to the effect of Mommy's going to get some help. And I had Mary's number in my purse, and I called her. I just went to the phone and called her. And my roommate said he got scared in the night and he came in my room because you were gone. And I remember how many nights I'd been scared because they were gone. And I thought, this is no one's fault but my own. This isn't my mother's fault. This isn't my father's fault. This is my fault. I did this to my own child. 
And I called her and I, I was done. I had a moment of clarity of who and what I was and it wasn't very good. I called Mary and she wasn't home but her husband was and he said, you know, I know more about you than I probably should. I know your dad very well. Why don't you get over here? And I did. And went to his house and he sat me down at a kitchen table with an AA big book and a cup of coffee and he 12-stepped me. And she came home a little later and finished the job. so glad they answered their phone. It was pretty early Saturday morning. They didn't have their answer machine on. Something to think about. Something I think about all the time. I'm glad I didn't have caller ID drunk. I did. Oh, I think an alcoholic invented that. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) I'm so afraid of the telephone. What do they want? You know, who is it? It will answer it. No. And uh, (laughs) I'm so afraid of the phone. But they weren't afraid of their phone because they were in recovery and they, and they answered their phone and took care of me. And I went to the meeting that night and I didn't want to go to the meeting that night. And about 7.15, I talked myself out of it. I think I've overreacted one more time. Eight-year slip I've had since I've been to AA, by the way. I haven't been back in eight years. And I thought maybe I've overreacted a little bit. And my roommates are my drinking buddies, too. And when you're, she looks up and says, aren't you going to that AA meeting tonight? And I said, no, I don't have a babysitter for Brad. In unison, they said, we'll watch him. Now, when your drinking buddies will watch your child so you can go to an AA meeting, you might want to take a look at your drinking. <laughs> it's just a suggestion. So, and so I went to the meeting, and my dad was at the meeting, um, and uh, he sat on the second row, first seat, and um, they said, are there any newcomers in your first 30 days of sobriety? Please raise your hand. Don't you hate that? I hate that. Until you have 31 days, and then you're fine with it. So I wasn't going to raise my hand, and of course they look over the couple that 12-step me, and they look, and they, uh, and I go, <laughs> so willing, you know, I scratch my head, and my dad happened to turn around, and he saw me. I was sitting way in the back, of course I was, and, I, and he saw me, and uh, he got called on for participation during the meeting for 30 minutes, they had participation, and he said, my daughter raised her hand, and of all the Christmas presents in the world, that one is the best. She said, I hope she stays here. She said, I hope she stays here, and I hope that she finds the healing and the love that's here. And the guy that 12-stepped me that morning, he said to me, Sheila, you don't ever have to drink again if you don't want to. He said, you don't ever have to feel this way if you don't want to and everything's going to be all right. And from that day to this, he's been right. It hasn't been wonderful and hasn't been perfect, but it's been all right. I got a sponsor that was the meanest sponsor ever. (laughs) And she was perfect for me. I was the meanest newcomer ever. I was not a good girl. I would love to say, oh, and I surrendered and I was home, and I wasn't. I wanted to be home, but I just felt mad. I was very mad. I was very broken. And I was really, really bitter. And so that she had a lot to work with, you know, she had a lot to do. And and she gave me actions that went against everything that I felt. It went against all my nature. And I did them anyway, because I was so afraid and I didn't want to drink and I didn't want to, you know, I did what she asked me to do. I minded my sponsor. I didn't like it. I wasn't happy. I took her inventory of coffee. (laughs) We know you do that. 
and I told the group every time she gave me a direction. I'm, I mean, I'm nightmare sponsory, and let me tell you what, I have paid for it tenfold in the last 18 years. <laughs> I have the craziest, sickest women. I have, I tell you, they just come in, it's like, I go, oh, no, dive, dive, you know, I just don't want any more. <laughs> Run, you know, and I, I love them, I love them so much. They're the most beautiful women. They have, they come in and they're so broken and they're just, they're shattered and, and the steps and God and actions in AA have just put them back together again. You know, I have moms that come to their birthdays and have tears in their eyes and say, this is a wonderful place. And I'm so excited that their moms know they're in a safe, well-lit place and the coffee's on. And there's no men that are hitting on them and after them in our group. Maybe once and then they're in dead trouble. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous is safe. It was safe for me. It was a safe place. I wanted to be safe. I don't sponsor just someone. Peggy doesn't just sponsor someone. She sponsors someone's mom, someone's friend, someone's aunt, someone's grandmother, someone's daughter. I sponsor people's daughters. And you know, my mom never got sober. But there are women that I sponsor that their children will never see them drink. Never. I moved along in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and uh, I did the things that were asked of me. I, I love my sponsor. My sponsor, um, when I was six years sober, decided that she, um, six years and 11 months sober, decided that she didn't need AA anymore and that she would go to church. And I was absolutely devastated. She was wonderful. I loved, I still have her as my sponsor. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty loyal, I guess. I, I never realized I was, but I hang in there, you know. And, and so I got, um, I was at a, a conference and my father introduced me to my next sponsor. And uh, Peg has um, been wonderful to me. And I'm so grateful to have someone ahead of me on the path. I need someone that says, this is what I did. Follow me. I, I'm, not, I'm not good. I, can, I love God. I have a relationship with God that's amazing today. However, I can pretend he's saying things he doesn't say. <laughs> I sponsored a girl that had God as her sponsor for the first five years until she got me, and then um, she always says this, you know, God is a really good God, but a terrible sponsor. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, and that's how it is for me. I'm not, I'm not so wonderful, you know, that I don't think up things. And, um, and so um, I met this guy, and he's a nice guy. Um, I was... Um, we were five, I was five and a half years sober and we got married. And uh, when we dated, we started dating and we went out on a date and he opened the door and we went out to dinner and he took, walked me up to the door and said, I'll call you some other, I'll call you sometime. And I thought, what an odd thing. And, um, <laughs> and my sponsor said, you know, a few weeks later, she said, well, how's it going with Dave? Are you still going out with him? And I said, I think we're just going to be buddies. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, we've been on three or four dates. He hasn't even kissed me goodnight. She goes, Sheila, that's dating. I go, what a concept. That's odd. <laughs> and she just shook her head a lot with me. And uh, 
and we got married and you know he's not in the program he said and he says he used to be normal before he met me <laughs> i'll fix that and um you couldn't be normal and want to marry me that's just that's dumb that's just dumb that's wrong that's just wrong and uh and so um i got pregnant and uh he adopted my son brad he's been an awesome father to my son brad and i had a, got pregnant and i had a baby and I found out in my seventh month or sixth month that I was going to have twin babies. I was going to have one was a girl and one was a boy. And life was wonderful in Alcoholics Anonymous. And in my seventh month, I went to my checkup and there was something wrong with the little girl baby. And then, um, and that was on a Friday and AA came to our home and people heard, got, you know, one person tells somebody and everybody shows up. I love that. And they all show up and they didn't want me to be alone. It was so, and my husband saw that and he was so impressed. And they, um, and, and on Monday, we went for another ultrasound, and he said, I'm so sorry, she must have gone over the weekend. She didn't last through the weekend. And um, so I carried those two babies and delivered them. And um, Daniel's fine, and, uh, and uh, my heart was broken. It was absolutely broken. Just because I'm in AA and things are, we're in this life, it doesn't mean nothing is gonna happen. Things happen to us here, they just do. And our Daniel, he's 12 years old, and he's just, a, he's wonderful. I'm like, we're like a baseball family, and we, my sons play baseball, and I love baseball, and I love to watch them play baseball, and I'm so grateful when I sit in those stands, and it's a warm summer day, and you smell the grass that's just been cut, and I feel God. I, I mean, I, can, I think double play has done really cool ones. I think spiritual. I just, you know, I just get a, I just get kind of a rush from it, especially when it's my kids doing it, you know. And, um, and Daniel's 12, and he's a great kid. He's a great little boy, and he's my blessing. He's a blessing. My Brad's a blessing. He shouldn't be, he shouldn't be the way he is today. My father got sick, got diagnosed with cancer. Because my father and I, because we came together, because you all, you all did it. I made my amends, and we just grew together. And I just, I loved my father. He was my pillar i always felt like AA was okay when dad was alive my dad's name was jimmy shaw and he was this big man he was kind of a kind of like popeye and john wayne mixed into one you know <laughs> and he you know he swore all the time i loved him <laughs> and when he got diagnosed i flew to see him and the good news was that we were even you know we were even I just went to love him. And I was sitting out on the front porch of their house, and he came out and he said, Baby, are you all right? And I said, No, I'm not. And he said, Well, what's wrong? I said, Well, I can't imagine my life without you. And he said, You know, I know how you feel. He said, But Sheila, know this. He said, I know my mission's up. He said, It's up. I've had a wonderful life, but my mission is through. And I'm handing the baton to you. He said, you stay on the firing line, you help those women in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'll be watching. And some days that baton's kind of heavy, and that's why I have a sponsor, and I have a God. In the last year, I, it's been a really rough year with my oldest son, he's walking like a duck, quacking like a duck, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> Two months ago, he went to a party for spring break and um, 
he drank too much and he went into this girl who had the party she was passed out in the bed so he laid down on the floor made a little pallet and laid on the floor he said I drank too much and about three o'clock in the morning two or three guys came in and um, stomped his face he had 12 bones broken in his face I stomped my baby's face and let me tell you they ought to be darn glad I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous because oh I was crazy I was crazy to see my child like that and the pain was so great I have never felt that kind of pain five days later he told me that I would be a grandmother in November he's not married I said why do you have to be just like me <laughs> I had such greater things for you and three weeks ago he went to the doctor's appointment with this young lady and he's been dating her for about a year and a half and he called me on the phone he goes mom I just heard my baby's heartbeat he said I want to get married I said okay well they decided they would have a wedding and let me tell you what every committee I've ever been on every hot luck I've ever been on prepare that was preparing me for this thing my word we had a wedding Saturday last Saturday and it was in a church and it was just beautiful and all my AA and Al-Anon friends were there and her mother says to my husband can you believe how many people showed up he said no he said no I'm, I can believe it he said this happens all the time we have get together and everybody comes he said I can't believe all these people came he said that's how we do it and you all love my son and I watched her and I watched my son walk in and my husband was his best man and I knew I knew he'd be all right someday because you all we all were around him we're all around him and he loves you tell you one story and we're out of here <laughs> my dad wanted one day we were at the international in San Diego and we're driving home from a meeting or something and he looks at me and grabs my chin and goes I wish I'd gotten your braces I went, what <laughs> I said um, really he said I've always felt so bad you had that sweet little face and those crooked old teeth I wish I'd know <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm sensitive dad and I said well you know I, I said I really have thought about getting them I really have and he said uh, well, let me know and I'll help you well my dad died the next year we didn't even know he was sick and the next year he died he died in fact not today but tomorrow will be seven years that he passed away and he said I'll help you but he died two years after that I I went to the dentist and I got braces and I walk out of the dentist's office and I look up to the sky and I go I got my braces on <laughs> three days later I was at it we were at this place it's called first step and we take a meeting to these women who are in a place and uh, we get lost we've never been there before and we are lost and we are late late we're getting late I mean we're out in the woods they go oh they found the dead ballerina out here and I go Dude. you know <laughs> too much sharing too much sharing you know <laughs> And they said they found the dead ballerina and they go on and I'm scared and I said no no and they said Sheila and we kept finding the men's facility but not the women's and it's woodsy and stuff so they said Sheila we're, we're, we're 20 25 minutes late for the meeting and I said she said I'll, I'm the CPC coordinator I'll call tomorrow and tell them I'm so sorry we were late we got we got these directions they must have been wrong but we'll be back we will come next Wednesday and I said and I thought about it, I said no let's go back to the men's facility call over there and see you know get directions tell them on our way and da, da, da. so we did and we finally arrived we only have 20 minutes left 
And I said, can we do the full hour? And they said, no, you can do 20 minutes. You've got 20 minutes left, and there you're going. There were four of us. We did a panel, five minutes each. And the other girl shared, and it got to me, and I talked about getting my braces on for some reason. And I, I, um, the room was in a semicircle. And I said, um, I said, you know, my dad always wanted me to have braces. And I said, you know, I kind of think that if I, if I work the steps and, and clean house and trust God, that I, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. It's just never too late. And um, I said, and, and, I, and I said, and I think my dad danced in heaven. Because when I was out in the parking lot and I went, I got my braces on, what went through my head was, he can't see my braces. I wonder if there's heaven. I kept thinking, I wonder if there's really heaven. I wonder if my dad's in heaven. And then it went worse and worse. You know, that, ugh, it's just dark and black and, oh. So I called the sponsoree. I had to get out of me. I thought, you know, you go, hi, how are you? That's 15 minutes of out of self. Boom. You know, and I was out of myself, and I, you know, and, but it was really bad. I mean, it really, it was a horrible thing. I was thinking, he can't see your braces. And it was just this negative, horrible thought. And, um, and so I was talking about that. And then I said, and I hoped my dad danced in heaven. And the room was in a semicircle, and I, for some reason I looked straight ahead, and I'm sure this girl had been sitting there the whole time, and I looked up, and she's sitting in the front row, and, and I, I said, where did you get that T-shirt? Now, I don't visit like that in a meeting, you know. And she said, in the donation closet. And I said, stand up. And she did. And I said, turn around. And she did. And I said, honey, you have my father's plumbing shirt on. My dad was a plumber. And I said, not only has that, not, that business not been in business, because it said Jim Shaw plumbing on it, but it hasn't been in business in two years. And when it was in business, it was not Norman, Oklahoma. It was Los Angeles, California. And I knew there was heaven. Had you not taught me to go a little further, stay a little longer, get up a little earlier, do more in Alcoholics Anonymous, do more, Sheila. If you hadn't taught me to do that, I would have said, fine, let's go home, and I'd have missed it all. I'd have missed every bit of it. And I believe there's a window in heaven, and I think every so often God calls him to the window. And he says, look, and he says, look there. Your grandson's getting married. My brother, this year, had one year sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> and I went to California where he lives, and I, and I got to be there for his birthday. And my father started a meeting 33 years ago, and we were at that meeting that he started. My brother led the meeting, my stepsister shared during participation, and I talked. We had no idea 33 years ago that he was paving a path that, so that we, my brother would have a safe place to go on Saturday night. He was just doing Alcoholics Anonymous. And look what he did. Look what he did. It was absolutely incredible. And so if it hadn't been for you, I would have none of this. I owe you my life. I owe you everything. And you taught me how to go a little further and shake a few more hands. And if I hadn't done those things, I'd have missed it all. Thank you. Thank you.